All right, let's let's pray and then we'll start. <clears throat> Father in heaven, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this new year. We thank you for this new week uh, you've given to us. We thank you that we get to start it in your word and we can do that together uh, in our own language uh, with uh, freedom, uh, without fear of persecution. We thank you for all these things. I uh, pray that you would give us, uh, wake us up and give us insight into your word so that we can be students of it, we can love it. We can read it, we can apply it, we can teach it to others, and most of all, we can see Christ in it and rejoice in Him and believe Him and obey Him. Thanks for this day and this word in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to be tackling some of the most intimidating parts of the Bible, and hopefully at the end of the day, they'll be maybe a little less intimidating if we can figure out uh, what's underneath all the weird stuff and what what is God trying to tell us in some of the colorful uh, and maybe even scary parts of the Bible. So we're talking about prophecy. <clears throat> and literally the word prophecy means to speak beforehand or uh, to speak, speak out. So there's two parts of that we're going to look at is uh, prophets gave speeches from God to God's people and about God's world. And uh, some of it told about the future, some of it told about what was wrong in the present. And so we're going to look at uh, four four things and then one big lesson uh, at the end. So uh, we need to motor through, through this. First thing I want us to look at is prophetic confrontation. And uh, if you have a Bible, turn in uh, uh, Jeremiah 2. I didn't have room to print everything. I was trying to save paper and ink today. So, and I also want to teach you to use your Bibles. So, uh, bring your Bibles to Sunday school. That's just uh, that's a request. Yeah, bring it um, and bring it to church too, because we'll oftentimes flip back and forth um, between things. So we print the text sometimes for people that are visiting or don't have a Bible or forget. So if you remember, bring your bring your Bible. Uh, Jeremiah 2, 11 uh, to 13. Uh, Wade's preaching today, so I won't make him read. Um, Aikman, did you find it? I'll give you a page number, but it won't match yours, so uh, that wouldn't work. I think Eric has it. So. Yeah. Um, has a nation changed its gods? Even though they are no gods, but my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns who cannot hold no water. Is Israel a slave? Is he a home-born servant? Why then has he become a prey? The lions have roared against him, and they have roared loudly. Maybe read verse uh, read verse 17. That okay. one's good, too. They have uh, made his land waste. His cities are in ruins without inhabitant. Moreover, the men of Memphis and Tephanes have shaved the crown of their head. Uh, have you not brought this upon yourself, forsaken the Lord your God when he led you in the way? All right. So here the prophet of God is... Uh, You've probably heard the phrase, you've been served, right? What does it mean when you've been served? Someone knocks at your door. You see it on the, like, 
Law and Order, CSI, SVU, what, all the various versions. Knock on the door, someone hands you a piece of paper, and what does it say on it? Summons. Summons. You've been summoned to appear in court. Up here in court because a you're a witness or you're a yeah, defendant. So you're being called to to answer for yourself. And here, God appears to His people in the per, in the person of the prosecutor, which is His uh, His prophet. And God has a beef. And in verse 17, what's God's beef with His people? And it's before, but it kind of says. They've forsaken him. So here we have, uh, we've been teaching you all along that the Bible is kind of organized in terms of covenant, that God is a great God, he's a speaking God, he's a loving God, and so he decides to bind himself to his people, almost like a marriage, where he says, I'll be your God, you'll be my people, you'll share my name. We've been talking about that in terms of baptism and uh, circumcision. And so he's coming to his people and says, you guys broke not the deal, you broke the relationship. And so God is coming to call them back. Because um, a lot of people don't like prophecy because it's so, I guess you could say, angry. Here's the angry God. He's chewing people out. He's reaming them. He's uh, you know, looking for his pound of flesh. But when we look at it in terms of covenant, we're seeing that God wants his, I want my wife back. I want my relationship with them back. And so he uses very shocking words so that they wake up because they have run away from him. And what? And verse 13 is kind of the sad part. My people have co committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. So God is immensely satisfying. He's immensely rich. He just keeps pouring out, pouring out, pouring out, pouring out. Good things and good words and forgiveness and fellowship. And they have instead hewed out cisterns for themselves. So they have done something, not by grace, but something by works to replace God. They have built God replacements to satisfy their own desires their own way. And a cistern is basically a, like a glorified leaky swimming pool uh, where they would catch rainwater and I think Pastor Michaels described it uh, preached it at the park I think um, so dead animals would fall in there debris and you'd have to kind of skim off the top like your pool skimmer to go get your water for your morning coffee and, and God's basically saying do you want everlasting you know sparklets water from the source or do you want to like skim dead raccoons off the top of the water. So God uses very shocking language and confrontational language not to just, you know, pound him. Because we basically have to ask, what is God's, uh, what's the direction of God's heart towards his people? And how would we answer that from what we know of Scripture? What's kind of God's mode or, or God's attitude towards his people? Anger or love? Yes. Yeah, yeah. He's only angry because his love has been violated. His love has not been returned. So we kind of think love just takes it and takes it and takes it and says, Oh, well, I just want to be loved, so I don't really care. But God is also jealous. And God's also a jealous God. It, we hear that in uh, the Ten Commandments. And so we see his love coming actively towards the people that are rejecting him. 
and, and we're not talking about the nations here, we're talking about his people. And so you see an interesting feature in verse um, 12. Be appalled, O heavens. Be shocked. And some people say, oh my stars, or oh my heavens. But that, God's not saying, oh my heavens, oh my stars, I can't believe that you guys did this to me. He's actually calling witnesses. He's calling the parts of his creation that always obey him to bear witness against the part of his creation that has disobeyed him, that has broken covenant. Because what happens if the moon doesn't work? <coughs> you don't have tides, you don't have seasons. What happens if the sun goes off a few degrees? We freeze to death or burn up, right? So basically, the creation that always obeys God has is, is come to bear witness against the creation that has dis, disobeyed God. And so we're going to see this later on in like Joel and a lot of Revelation, that when you see weird things happening in the sky, what's that about? It's a sign that something has been deeply broken and deeply wrong, and, and they're summoned to speak against what's been done uh, on the earth. So they're like angry angry witnesses of God's people's uh, sin. Any questions or comments about that part? So this happens all all over the Old Testament. Okay, next thing. I'm not going to give you the weird... Well, this might be the weirdest example. There is a weird... Er, as weird example of the second thing, which is called prophetic enactment. And... Uh, the prophet Jeremiah had to do a lot of weird things, prophet Isaiah, but I'm going to choose Hosea for a minute. Uh, who can I get to read uh, that one? Marianne, can you read that for us? That's printed there. Good reading on all those names and that weird, dirty word. So, uh, <laughs> good, good job. Well, this is one of the weirdest uh, passages. And guys, if you're looking for wives, I wouldn't say this is a. <laughs> you're doing the. Lord, give me Hosea one two. Uh, don't recommend that. But what is God doing? Telling Hosea go marry a prostitute. This is awkward. <clears throat> Does God normally say to people, go marry a prostitute? <clears throat> I mean, I preached about it a few weeks ago, but uh, what is God doing? God is drawing a living, breathing, painful uh, picture of what he says here. For the land, or meaning my people, have committed great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So God uses, again, shocking language to show the spiritual state of his people. And lucky prophet Hosea gets to do it like a one-act, one-man play. Go marry this wife who cheats on you. And it says, children of whoredom. 
Guess what? When you're married to a prostitute and you don't have DNA testing, you're always wondering, what? Is this my kid? This kid has different color eyes. Uh, what is God saying? My people who are called by my name, who are supposed to have my DNA, now are exhibiting other DNA like they are not my kids. My wife, Israel, is not acting like a wife. She's out on the square. And so in this enactment, who is who? In this play, who, who plays God? Hosea. Hosea. And who plays Israel? Her name's Gomer. Not a very attractive name, but uh, <laughs> she's not doing very attractive, attractive things. And so here we see The drama of this dysfunctional marriage is a, is a picture of God's pursuit, God's love, and God's forgiveness. Because think about it. If you have to go get your wife, she's drunk and beat up at the slave market, and you bring her home, what are you going to talk about on the way home? What's there to talk about except what she's done? You've hurt me again. You've, it's crushed me again. And uh, Andrew Peterson has a great uh, song called Hosea. Look it up on iTunes. Basically, it's the picture of Gomer saying, Hosea, when I, when I lay next to you at night, all I can think about is what I've done and where I've been. But your love that's persisting shows God to me, and it gives me hope in the gospel. It's really a beautiful, beautiful song about the gospel. And so here God uses the life. Well, I guess you could say he really uses a prophet. Uh, to show lovingly what God has to put up with in his continual relationship, his continual covenant uh, pursuit of, of his people. So prophets really had it really bad. Um, Jeremiah, for instance, he's not allowed to get married to show really the desolate nature, the really the loneliness that God's people had put themselves into because of their, of their sin. They had run away from God. They had given up. Uh, intimacy uh, with God. Any questions or comments about this? <clears throat> Does this one blow your mind a little bit? Like, why would, why would God do that? The bigger why is why would God still pursue us? Why would God still love us? Why would God still forgive us? We tend to get tripped out over, he told me to marry a prostitute. What's up with that? We should be saying, What's up with this? You know, what's up with the gospel? Why is that still true? Why does God still act this way towards me when I have acted this way uh, towards Him? So here, prophecy isn't about end of the world. It's about end of the old way we've been living. It's a, a loving confrontation uh, to grip our hearts and bring us back to Him. This is God's goal, even in the scary parts of prophecy, is come back to me. Come uh, believe me. Come live with me. Okay, the next one is, is real easy, and we've been kind of living this and telling this over the Christmas season, which is Messianic Revelation. 
Because <laughs> really the question is asked, when will Israel ever be faithful? Is really the question that you read from Matthew to Malachi. In fact, in Malachi, the last prophet, it talks about divorce and about how God hates divorce and, and how God's people have basically divorced him. They have given up on uh, his their relationship uh, with him. And so God sends another Israel, another Adam in, uh, in Jesus. So we have Isaiah 9 about the virgin birth. We have Isaiah 53 about... Uh, his sacrifice, so we're looking forward to that in uh, Easter in a few months. And so that one's... Let me just read a few verses because it's, it's beautiful. <clears throat> Verse 10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for sin, he shall see his offspring. And this is radical because Jesus is single. How is... Jesus is going to be able to see his kids. Well, he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. And there we see, through Jesus will be given new birth and a new righteousness and a new heart. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. So we have the announcement of the Messiah uh, that will come. Any questions or comments? Like, this might be beyond the scope of what we want to talk about, but um, let me just throw it out. Sure, sure. Um, I mean, so Old Testament prophets, they bring the loss. Uh, they reenact uh, the drama of Israel uh, being unfaithful. What about New Testament prophets? How are they different? Mm. What's their role? It seems to me in New Testament, it really, they're kind of working from Jesus forward. Is about now that he's come, they're always saying, so what? And so literally in the stage of the New Testament era, we, the books really didn't just drop out from heaven. Every Sunday there would be a prophet saying God's word fresh to them. And then there would actually be people who judged the prophet saying, does this fit what God said in the Old Testament? Does this fit what the apostles said? And so prophecy was new and fresh, but it also was able to be judged and criticized. So that was kind of a unique feature of New Testament prophecy. In Old Testament prophecy, if it didn't come true, guess what happened to you? They killed you. <laughs> In, in the epistles, I mean, Paul's whole first and second Corinthians follows this redemptive historical history of Israel mm-hmm. and uses the temple language, he uses the sacrificial language, and the very language he uses out it, to call people to repentance. And the guy shaking up on his father's wife, mm-hmm. you know, uh, chapter six, you know, you, you can't join your body with a prostitute, you join your body with the temple of the Lord. And that's all borrowed from the Old Testament. Yeah. And then in the seven epistles in the book of Revelation, Exact sort of language is it's pulled out of there where Jesus has the same sort of repent. And you know, you have this, this is good, 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 but I got this problem with you. If you don't repent, I'm going to come down and judge you. It's the same sort of language we're finding here. Well, that's good. I'm glad you pulled that angle because I didn't quite, th- you know, I forgot to kind of include that part, so that's really good. It's when the, in, the, and the acting out part, you see Jesus like um, withering 
the fig tree. Fig tree and stuff. You know, we go, oh, how un environmentally unfriendly or something like that. But he killed the tree. <coughs> yeah. No, that's good. Thanks for that question. So, I'm just trying to figure out what to include, what to. Editing is hard when you got 45 minutes or so. <coughs> so, thanks for that. Well, let's get to the hardest part about prophecy the weird, some of the weird stuff. So, uh, and I'm not going to get into all the weird stuff, like 666 and stuff like that. Because <laughs> that stuff is sometimes red herrings for what, what is God trying to tell us uh, through this? And anybody that talks about prophecy probably starts with the book of Daniel because you see really a clear uh, revelation of what God's going to do in all the kingdoms of the earth. And uh, so I want kind of what I'm looking at in these four sections here under apocalyptic. And apocalyptic just means revelation. The book of Revelation, the Greek title of it is Apocalypsis. This is a revelation of what God's doing. But a lot of people think that, especially the book of Revelation, God's playing hide-and-seek with us. <laughs> Guess who this guy is? Guess who, you know, this guy's Gorbachev, or this guy's Ronald Reagan, or this guy's, you know, Saddam Hussein. Or, and now that he's dead, you're like, oh, well, I guess we're looking for another guy. You know, and so everybody's like, who is this thing? And, you know... Open your cereal box for the decoder ring. You know, it's like um, there's, there's a guy uh, here in the Bay Area, um, Pearl County. Yeah, does yeah. family radio. He spent like the past couple of decades trying to figure out the world. So May thirteenth, yeah. sell your stuff and get ready. We'll have a big party the weekend before, yeah. <laughs> and we'll see. Yeah. So that's really the question we have to ask: Is is God really wants us watching the clock? Do you know what time it is? You know, and these, dun, 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 you know, freaky uh, programs that you see on TV and stuff. The guy and his really blonde wife, really chatty, really excited about all the weird stuff <laughs> happening. So uh, those guys are a trip. So uh, I would say watch them for entertainment value, not for uh, biblical uh, encouragement value. <clears throat> yeah, how about you just skip it? Yeah, it'd be just confusing. <laughs> Let's think about Daniel for a second. Let's just think about Daniel himself. When Daniel gets this word from God, where is he at? Revelation from God. In the book of Daniel, if you know, know the story. We know about Daniel in the lion's den. He gets thrown in the lion's den in what country? Israel? No, Babylon. So here's a... What's a good Jewish kid doing in a pit with a lion? In Babylon. How did he get there? Captivity. Captivity. So basically, this revelation of God happens while God's people are under judgment. Just like we heard about in Jeremiah, my people have sinned against me. They've rejected me. So Isaiah and Jeremiah... talked about the judgment to come and then in the book of Daniel it actually happened that uh, the southern kingdom of Judah was captured and taken into captivity and Daniel was kind of in an upper crust uh, family uh, some of the nobility of Israel 
And so he was taken, and so he's living under God's judgment together with his people. And there's a great passage, I think it's in Daniel 9, where he basically confesses the sins of him and and his people. He says, we've sinned against you, God. We're here, not because you're angry and you're mean. We're here because we're great sinners and we have broken our marriage uh, covenant with you, God. And right in the middle of this, God sends a message about Christ's kingdom. See, somebody have a... Who else has a... Daniel 7, 13 and 14. If somebody can find that. All right, go for it. I saw in the night visions, and behold, a cloud of heaven. There came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days, and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. All the peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Okay, so God gives Daniel a vision. What, what's a vision? Was he smoking something? No, it's... God invades... Sometimes God invades dreams. Sometimes it's what some people call a waking dream. We're going to see that in a minute in uh, Revelation. It's like, boom, I was in another place. I was seeing stuff I've never seen before. It wasn't here. It was somewhere exalted. It was somewhere beautiful. Um, or some one beautiful, as we see in this passage. What does Daniel see? in this vision. You see someone called the Ancient of Days. And what's true about this one that's ancient? It says he will have a kingdom that does what? He sees, well, first he sees one like son of man. Okay, so we see one like a son of man. He's basically witnessing the ascension of Christ. So he's seeing someone who's a man, but who is ancient of days. This is kind of a a term of the one who rules everything from old, who is the ancient king of everything, the rightful king of everything. But think about this. The one who's going to rule everything and who has had the right to do that from all of eternity looks like, and literally the word is Ben Adam, son of man. He's a guy. He's one of us, but yet he rules for us, and his kingdom is greater than all other Okay, think about what how Daniel takes that. Is he going, ooh, cool, I got a vision of the future. Hey guys, listen to me, I got a vision of the future. What is actually Daniel looking at? He is actually able to see a vision of reality. Of what really is. What really is true, what really is permanent, what really is... Um, real and important that God is ruling everything he set up a man of his own choosing to make everything right so how does that feel to a guy who is under God's judgment in a foreign land 
without fellowship, without the temple. Think about, we use this word pastoral, or how is this encourage people? Well, he said he was anxious and the visions of his head alarmed him. Because it's scary, you're seeing, whoa, I'm like seeing into heaven, I'm like, I don't think I should be seeing this, hello, you know. Like those old hacker movies from the 80s, board games. He like hacks it. Oh, shoot, I'm in the Pentagon in a database. I don't belong here. I'm seeing things that I don't have access to. And so in one sense, it's frightening, but then it's also exciting and it's also comforting. Because in the middle of where we think there is no hope, there is no salvation, God is working out everything for his purposes. And Daniel is able to see it and he's able to explain it. And then because he's had these visions, he's able to stand up to other kings who are trying to be God. So that's why he gets thrown into the lion's den. It's because he won't bow to this false image. Because what image has he seen? The real thing. He's seen the real king of everything. And so he doesn't have to bow down to these two-bit dictators. He, he bows down to the real king. And so this begins to point to us, it's a... All of this is to point us, and you'd expect this in Sunday school, to Jesus. <laughs> After Jesus raises from the dead, he takes a walk with some disciples. It's called On the Road to Emmaus. And it says that he had a chat with them. He had basically a walking Sunday school lesson with them. And it says, from Moses and the Psalms and the prophets, he explained that the whole Old Testament was about him. So the short answer is, what's all this weird stuff about? It's about Jesus' kingdom that rules over every kingdom. And then it, it, it goes on to describe a mountain that crushes all other mountains. So there's all kinds of neat, kind of elevated, very colorful, dreamlike language to describe uh, this rule of God. Less uh, recipe and more like poetry of describing uh, what God does. So if your approach to prophecy is about recipe, then maybe you're not getting it. All right. You had this number and this number and you get this number and so that means it's this guy and that guy and that guy beats that guy. You know, like a Bakugan match or something like that. So it uh, doesn't work. Okay, Matthew 24. Here's New Testament uh, prophecy. And there's several passages in the Gospels that are called little apocalypses. I'll just read a few verses. 24.3 And as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us when will these things be? So they're asking about timing. And what will be the sign of your coming? How will we know when you're showing up? And of the close of the age. And we'll talk about that word age in a minute. Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, and they will lead you astray. Then he talks about wars and famines and earthquakes. <clears throat> and then there's an interesting verse in verse 14. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And the, this gospel of the kingdom will pro, be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And then he comes down. Um, 
and I'm missing the part I was actually wanting to talk about. Eric, where's the this generation? Uh, oh, uh, 2336. It should appear, I think, at the beginning or later at the end. Yeah, it's at uh, 36. <clears throat> and so basically he's saying uh, that there's curses of uh, breaking. This is in chapter 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous. Okay, let's just stop right there. He first uses it in... 2336. Okay, yeah. So it's sort of an between those two. So, I'll, yeah, I'll build up to that. So, what does that sound like? Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Is he talking about future stuff, or which of the things we've already studied this morning is he doing? Is he doing messianic revelation, prophetic enactment, or prophetic confrontation? Confrontation. So, he's confronting the rulers of Israel, and he's saying, You've murdered the prophets. And the judgment that will come upon you is down here in 34. Therefore I send you prophets. Whoa. I love you and I own you. You're my kingdom, so I send you prophets. I send you scribes and wise men, some of whom you will kill and crucify. So he's prophesied his own death. And some of you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth from the blood of innocent Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Barakiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. So there's a prophetic confrontation. And in most prophetic confrontations, is he talking about guys thousands of years ahead? No, it's about the guys he's chewing out right there, right? He's like, you've done this, and so this will come upon you. And so people, because they think of prophecy as being about the future, way, 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 down, you know, thousands of years down, they do weird things with words. And one of the rules about doing uh, Bible study is it's probably safe that when you're reading the Bible, read these words in the normal way that you use words. So when you see words like, Soon, some people turn on their prophecy math, and they go, soon means thousands of years later. <laughs> or, or this means that. Yeah, and this. And so here we have the word this generation in this passage. And so what does that mean? This. In the year 2050, right? <laughs> this generation means what? If you're just reading this generation of people. If you're reading a Newsweek article about the health habits of people in this generation, what do you think they're talking about? This generation? Yeah, this generation. People that are currently living and will die because of their bad health habits, right? So this generation, he's basically saying, you Pharisees and scribes who kill the prophets, your judgment is going to come upon you in this generation. So Jesus is saying this, in 33 AD. This chart's going to be important in a minute. <clears throat> and with how long is a generation usually? 40 Around 40 years or so. <clears throat> so this generation means people who are living, because you're going to see later on in this passage, we won't read it, Uh, verse 9, then they will put you up to tribulation and put you to death. What you is he talking about? Which people? 
disciples, the you that are sitting there listening to Jesus, right? The guys who ask the question, he's saying, this is going to happen to you. And so this isn't talking about end of the world stuff, like when everything ends. This portion of the chapter is talking about stuff that's going to happen that Jesus is warning that would happen within this generation. Any questions about that? Because, I mean, there's a lot going on here, but... uh, Let me move on to Acts 2, because this will make, make some sense of it, too. What? Yeah, I know, we only got a few minutes. <clears throat> well, let me skip to Revelation, because we got like one minute. I did this with Song of Solomon. All the spicy stuff I gave one minute. Sorry about that. <laughs> <clears throat> I'm not trying to avoid it, promise me. I, I've taught... Revelation to high school kids. So, you know, I'm not afraid of this stuff. So, uh, <clears throat> but listen to what God says to uh, John in a waking dream. It says, On the Lord's day I was worshiping, and suddenly I saw saw Jesus. And this is, this is a letter from John to ch- real churches, real Christians. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. And then it says, When I saw Jesus, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. And then he talks about some of the pictures that he's seen. And what does Jesus look like in this vision? And in the midst of the lampstands, I saw one like a son of man. Whoa, where did we hear that before? <coughs> All the way back in Daniel. Clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like wool, like an ancient one, as white as snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. So this isn't Jesus meek and mild, kind of limp-wristed, doing like little, you know, zen moments. So you read on a tea bag, you know. That's not what. What does Jesus look like now? His voice sounds like a waterfall and a tsunami and an explosion all rolled into one. This is the one who rules everything. He is he is fierce. He is awesome. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet though dead, but he laid his right hand on me. Let's think about this for a second. Where is John? Like Daniel, he is under judgment. This time not from God, but from God-haters. He's been exiled from the Roman government for speaking about Jesus. It says he has suffered because of the testimony about Jesus. And so what does God give to sufferers who are being faithful to Jesus? and are paying for it with their lives. What does he give to them? A vision of Jesus. 
And so the revel- revelation is written to suffering brothers and sisters of John. And you're going to see this word over and over again in Revelation. To the one who overcomes. To the one who remains faithful to the end. So what is the book of Revelation for? It's for a suffering early church to see their Jesus that they just buried a few years ago, but that they saw raised again and go, gone up to heaven. When your king goes up to heaven and you don't see him anymore, what do you start to think? All I know is what I see. All I know is what I feel. All I know is that we are suffering for this Jesus. Where is Jesus now? Is he standing with us? Because we don't see him. Maybe we don't feel him. He says, hang on, I am with you. I am ruling over all these kingdoms. And so all the weird stuff in Revelation is basically a description of how God overrules all the hatred of the kingdoms against Jesus and his people. And it shows how beautifully God works through history to bring everything to a beautiful closing at the end of Revelation, it says, And I saw the new Jerusalem coming down like a bride dressed for her husband. And we know in Hebrews it calls the church the new Jerusalem. So it's basically like the church is meant to see Jesus and be married to Him forever. And we're waiting in anticipation for Him. So Revelation is all about Jesus. Daniel is all about Jesus. Matthew 24 where he says, I'm going to destroy... Uh, this temple and this generation is all about uh, Jesus. And so the short answer is, what is prophecy about? It's about Jesus. And what's the right response when God shows us Jesus? What are we supposed to do? Fall down and worship. Turn away from our sins towards the Savior who died for our sins. And so kind of a simple outline of if you want to do a chart, looks like this. This is Old Covenant. And this is New Covenant. So the early church was in this weird time where Jesus had uh, died and risen and the church was growing exponentially. And they were also suffering because there was a conflict between what Paul calls the rulers of this age If you read about transitions of White House uh, administrations they're sometimes they trash the place uh, on their way out right? <laughs> so uh, kind of like a rock star in a hotel room but uh, basically Paul says, the rulers of this age are raging because they saw that Jesus was going to rule everything and it scared them to death and so they railed against Jesus and railed against the church. But the message of Revelation and the New Testament is Jesus is ruling and Jesus is winning even though it feels like we're suffering. And so the weirdest book of the Bible, Revelation, was written for people who lived here wondering about if Jesus rules everything, why is everything so hard? And Jesus just like he did for John physically, lays his hand on us and says, stay faithful, I love you. Stay faithful, my grace is for you. Stay faithful, your brothers are suffering, but I, I'm noticing and I will come back and, and judge. Yeah. A lot of people think too that, you know, if you look at certain passages in Scripture, it says written for the people in that generation and not specifically for us, then what use is it, and why should we even teach it? But all of Scripture, I mean, even if it was written to a certain generation, is useful for us knowing Jesus. Yeah. Because there's three words that have kind of stuck with me as I've read this. Tribulation, 
the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus. We're promised that, that we will suffer for following Jesus. But Jesus said, fear not, little flock, it's your Father's goodwill to give you the kingdom. So fear not. If the text has to be directly written for us in order to be relevant, then we could throw out the entire Bible except for those few passages we're supposed to speak about the 21st century. Yeah. <laughs> That's your point. <clears throat> So really, if the Bible is written to a generation of people whose challenge is to be faithful to God, we need to really look at these same, the generation that received this book, what was God's call to them? What about Jesus was he revealing to them? And what response was God looking uh, to get from them? And so that can help us to profitably read the scriptures, because that's our story, is to look at Jesus and follow him and obey him in the midst of suffering and and persecution. So... uh, don't be afraid to read it. There's good tools. I gave you three at the bottom that you guys can look at uh, to kind of help you through uh, some of these uh, things if some of this is new or you want to dig deeper uh, into it. All right. God bless you. Happy New Year.